What's the matter? The food ain't that bad, baby. Eat your What's wrong? Hey, what's the introduction run a little long but i think it's worth it great classic cinema right there for you folks i know you can't see it but i think you know what just happened hello popheads welcome to issue 98 of the tomcast podcast coming to you once again from the tom cave my name is tom thank you so much for listening to this quality independent podcast please follow the show on social media at tomcast podcast on twitter and instagram you can email the show tomcastpopcast at gmail.com and finally if you head over to patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast, you can become an official member of Pophead Nation, where, depending on which level of support you choose to give, you can get access to all kinds of amazing bonus content. We have some video features on there. The PopCast Read segments are video only, at least for now, uh, where I'm giving recommendations on great comic books, graphic novels, regular novels, a little bit of everything. And uh, that's been a lot of fun so far. I hope the patrons are enjoying that. But we also do a audio commentary track for future films right now we are at the, at the sort of at the beginning of our marvel before marvel series where we are exploring the films of marvel comic book characters before the launch of the marvel cinematic universe we've done howard the duck we've done the punisher captain america is coming up next that's right there was a captain america movie before the four the one we all know and love before the first avenger before the winter soldier before civil war and uh it's not good. Don't worry. It's going to be a fun commentary track. So, again, that's over at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. Thank you so much to my current Patreons. Thank you to the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman at Bay Park, Jeff Nail. He's the co-host of The Ringing Ear. Give them a listen. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles, and the Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard. Uh, finally, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever platform it is you like. We'll make sure we're on there for you. Uh, make sure you, you like, you subscribe, and you're sharing the show with all your friends. And if you have the time and the inclination, write us a five-star review because those go a long way to helping small independent podcasts like us 
kind of rise above, you know, become like the cream of the crop, you know, always rise and do the top. All right? So, again, from the introduction, today's episode will be about 1979's Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, the master himself, written by, uh, who was the writer? Dan O'Bannon, writer, gets the main writing credit, he gets the story by credit, uh, it, and it's starring, I think we all know who it's starring by now, right? Sigourney Weaver, Yafa Koto, Tom Skerritt, Henry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, it's a, it's a, it's a murderer's row of a cast, it's fantastic, and, uh, one of the one of the reasons why we kind of wanted to do this show now, like I, I I've been talking to my guest about doing the show for a little while now, um, but with the news on Friday of the passing of of, of Ian Holm, uh, who plays Ash the android on this, but you may probably know him better as Bilbo Baggins from Lord of the Rings, uh, it, it definitely seemed like a really good time to to talk about Alien because uh, uh, Sir Ian Holm's performance is not to be. Uh, missed in, in these. He's, he plays a wonderful android and uh, uh, kind of like an evil android at the same time. He does a fantastic job. But with the passing of, of, of Ian Holm, uh, we thought it was time to, to, to have this conversation because the cast of this movie, there's not many of them left, folks. And I don't say that to be funny. It's just true. It's just a fact. You know, uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, I think, and Yafakoto. I believe Yafakoto is still alive. Uh, and yes, he is. But that's kind of it. <laughs> so we're, the, the rest of the crew, I mean, even even the gentleman who played the alien uh, is, is, has passed away. And uh, it's sad. It's, it's a movie, it's, it's 40 years old, but it, it holds up so incredibly well. It is such stunning cinema. It's so visually exciting and impactful to this day. You can put on Alien right now, and the suspense, the tension, you're on your edge of your seat, even if you've seen it a thousand times, like I have. It, it's just wonderful amazing cinema and that's one of the reasons why it's such a big piece of our popular culture right now uh and and it's it's to me it is the perfect blend of science fiction and of horror and so i'm really excited to have this conversation uh i've invited my brother mark back onto the show uh because mark and i uh, are, are pretty we have a pretty good bond over over the alien film especially this one and and the sequel um but I thought he would be an appropriate guest to have on because uh, we, we have some some good experience with the film. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit. Um, so I hope I, I hope you have an entertaining show for you. All right. So get ready. Buckle up. Here's the conversation. 1979's Alien. What happened to Kane? Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away. What kind of thing? I need a clear definition. An organism. Open the hatch. Wait a minute. If we let it in, the ship could be infected. You know the quarantine procedure. 24 hours for decontamination. He could die in 24 hours. Open the hatch. Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die. Mark, my dear sweet brother, welcome back to the Tomcast Popcast. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Hey, man, I'm hanging in there. It's, uh, you know, the world's still crazy, still on fire. <laughs> but yep. but the Tomcast Popcast continues to chug along. And by chug, I am referring to the beer I'm having in front of me. What are you having? Today, I am having a brand new beer from Pizza Port. It's called Permanent Vacay, which is kind of what I think most people feel like they're on during COVID-19. And it is a lovely 7% India Pale Ale with Citra and the Motuika hops. The what hops? Motuika and Citra. Uh, I don't now, know what I, that is. I know you're not a, a big IPA guy necessarily, 
But this might be one that you would find pleasant enough. It's not overly bitter. All right. You know, a little bit more citrus-based. I'll wait to visit you so I can try it. Well, when you come down here, you get locked into quarantine for two weeks before you're allowed entry into the Tom Cave. So that's up to you if you can handle it. Yep. <laughs> I, I've heard that you are having some uh, whiskey today, some fine, fine whiskey. What are you having, my friend? I'm having Redwood Empire oh. bourbon. Oh. So it's... It's a California bourbon, um, and I think it's bottled in Sonoma County. And it's okay. It's it's not worth the the forty dollars I spent on it. <laughs> okay, right on. But but it's all right. So well, that'll keep you that'll, that'll keep you uh, uh, moisturized while while we're doing the show. Right. <laughs> so we're here today to talk about. Um, I mean, easily one of my favorite films of, of of all time is is that is that an apt description for you as well? It's in my top three. Top three, yes. And just in case no one's heard already, we are discussing 1979's Alien, directed by Ridley Scott. And this is basically Ridley Scott's kind of coming out party, him announcing himself with authority with this picture. Yes. Um. Let's see. What's the best way to, to ask this first question? But I mean, obviously nowadays we we know Ridley Scott's a big deal. But but mm-hmm. what was it you think in your in your estimation that he brought to to Alien that made it so unique? I I think he came at it from a sort of designer's perspective. I know that Ridley Scott um, was something of a of an artist before he was a filmmaker. I know he was very into creating his storyboards. Um, and I think not just with Alien, but with all of his films, especially his earlier work, th- that's kind of what he brought to it. He ha- He was very obsessed with kind of the visual style and language of of the movie. And, you know, the, the, the movie is, it's, it's, everything's very detailed. And mm-hmm. I think that's what he brings to it is just that sort of kind of hyper real world. Yeah, I Where, think so. Yeah. Whereas I think in, in another director's hands, you, you wouldn't have as interesting of a uh, sort of production design to the film. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of that. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of like kind of uh, not necessarily cooks in the kitchen, but uh, there's a lot of people I think that that really help kind of bring that that unique aesthetic to life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and granted, uh, according at least according to the legends, I mean, it was it was Ridley's uh, storyboarding that convinced 20th Century Fox to double the budget for the movie, or maybe even more than doubled. I think it went from like five billion five million to like fifteen. So. You know, a significant investment went into the picture after uh, executives were able to see the storyboarding that Ridley had done for the picture. So, like right. you said, that designer aspect I think really comes into play. Um, and yeah. another uh, person who's a big who was important to the film, I think, was the production designer, which I, th- I think, uh, if I remember remembering correctly, is Ron Cobb was his name. Yes, and he helped start bringing a lot of this stuff to life. Um, yes. And obviously, the the big star of the, of the picture is the H.R. Geiger design of the xenomorph itself 
Right. So so kind of like these, these three things come together and, and, and really kind of reins them all in and, and, and shapes them in, into the picture that we got. And I, I think it's important to emphasize that really reined it in because uh, anyone who's been exposed, and I use the word exposed intentionally, to H.R. Geiger's work <laughs> will know that there's a lot of uh, uh, sexuality and, and right. You know, and that's that's kind of like the subtle way of saying it. I mean, because this guy is all about like like uh, 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 penis and vagina. Let's just say it. <laughs> There's a lot of that in his work. So uh, apparently, and apparently, some of the earlier concepts that HR did when he was brought on board, they were very sexualized as well. And, and Ridley's like, "What are you doing, you crazy person?" Now that all said, I do recommend highly if you're ever in Switzerland, go to the HR Geiger Museum. It's fascinating, but yeah, it's very sexual in there too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's such a it's such a, a, a unique aesthetic, and and like you said, that 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 kind of like designer's point of view, uh, because some of the some of the stories I've read and some of the documentaries I've seen over the years, you know, really was very adamant about not. He really wanted to avoid the the man in a rubber suit kind of alien, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that lends itself to, you know, uh, during the introduction to the show, I, I described alien as 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 possible as. as to me, the perfect blend of science fiction and horror. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because it does one, one of the best things it does is the less is more approach to the alien. Right. I, I think someone calculated it at one point where like the aliens on screen for like four minutes of a two hour movie. Yeah. It's hardly there. Yeah. But it's, it's menace is felt throughout the picture. So it, it, it's fascinating. And, and Ridley's approach to the way he shot the alien in particular lends to that menace and lends to the, 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 the aura, the fear, the tension of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, a, this is a, I think the movie is a, a place for roughly an hour before the alien even shows up. Um, before we get the, um, the chest burster. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, obviously we go, we go to the planet, the, the crew of the Nostromo receives the, the, the mysterious alien distress call. They're they're rerouted by by Wayland Utani to it to check it out, lend assistance. Um, you know the evil corporation <laughs> makes its presence felt yes. very early in the picture. Yeah, well, you know, early in the picture, it's just you know the company, and they're just on company orders. But, right. Yeah. Right. Um, I I guess one of the things that. I've also described the picture the way I described the picture was the the tension just ratchets up throughout this movie. I mean, between the, the between the crew, even before the the chestburster scene and stuff like that. And, you know, you have you know Ridley by the book, you know, trying to do not let uh, 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 oh god, I'm drawing a blank on his name. John Hurt's character back on board once the face huggers on him, right? And it's like, ah, damn, they just listened to Ripley. Ripley effectively. Enforcing a quarantine. I think we all know how important that is nowadays. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I know I'm kind of shooting all over the place here because we were just talking about Ridley Scott in, in, in the uh, the visual aesthetics of the of the picture. But I, I guess we probably should get into the cast now because it's a super unique cast, and, mm-hmm. and just like Ridley Scott's vision helps this movie take off and, and take form, uh, you know. The cast, uh, Sorgoni Weaver in particular, as Ellen Ripley, just kind of sucks you in. Like you just get really drawn in because these people are, 
you know, we don't know a lot about them, but they seem very real. Like, even if they are a bit, a bit of caricatures, they're all people that we know to some extent that we can kind of connect to in a way. Yeah, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say they're caricatures. They just they feel they feel very very real to me, and I, I think that's what that's what works. And the movie is very minimalist, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the characters and the dialogue. And so it's through the performances and just those little bits of dialogue that we do get that we we learn who these characters actually are. And so I think that it's a testament to to both the writing and but also particularly to to the performances that everyone kind of stands out in the film. Yeah, I mean, seriously, there are some crazy acting chops in this movie between uh, between. John Hurt and Harry Dean Stanton, Yafit Koto, Tom Skerritt's great, and then you know Sigourney Weaver, a relative newcomer, and, and yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, it just just owns the role of Ripley from the start. I mean, just crushes yeah. it. I mean, it, this is '79, and like she becomes like a the female action hero. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive work from from a very young Sigourney Weaver. Hmm. Um. One of the reasons why we wanted I. Excuse me. One of the reasons why we want to do you, you and I have been talking about doing the show for a little while. Um, yeah. But one of the real reasons we had to get to it, um, and I, I mentioned this a little bit in the introduction, is this cast. There's not many of them left alive, and we we just lost uh, uh, Ian Holm on on this this past Friday, and right. I, I thought it was uh, uh, a, a fitting tribute, a, a fitting way to tribute Ian Ian Holm, a, a person who uh, has impacted cinemas across the globe for you know what four or five decades yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i you know look i love ian home outside of alien and um lord of the rings i kind of struggle with other things like what else has he been in ratatouille. i remember he, he, he was in from hell he was in ratatouille he was in lord of war if you saw that one nope <laughs> he's also an aviator didn't see it day after tomorrow Unfortunately. <laughs> oh boy. What else? Let me rack my brain here. Yeah, but just let me suffice to say, a lot of things. He's been in a lot of things. I'm not saying he hasn't been, but. But these are at least yeah. obviously Bilbo and and Ash are his probably his most iconic. Oh, he's also in the Fifth Element. Remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> See, he just kind of shows up in things, and sometimes you don't necessarily catch it, but he's there. Yeah, yeah, I, f- I forget about Fifth Element. I haven't seen it in years, so I have no idea if it holds up, but did like it at the time. Hey, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, other you know, I think it's I think I meant I counted it earlier. It's it's of of the principal cast. It's Sigourney, it's Jaffet Cotto, Tom Skerritt, and Veronica Cartwright. All that's left. John Hurt passed away. Henry Dean Stanton passed away. Now Ian Holm. Even the even the man in the alien suit. Uh, he he died before all of them. He died in the nineties. Yeah. And uh, uh, Helen Morton, who, who was the voice of Mother, she's been she's been dead for quite a while as well. All right. As well as Dan O'Bannon, the man who wrote the screenplay, did the story, though. I. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's unfortunate. Yeah, he's a bit of a, I've, I've what I've heard about Dan O'Bannon is he's, he's a bit of a firebrand, or was a bit of a firebrand in his time. Uh, apparently, yeah. he was tolerated on the set of Alien, at least for a little while. I yeah. He, my understanding, I don't know, whenever I see him in interviews, he just kind of strikes me as an odd 
human being. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't know about him being a fry, firebrand, but but I think like yeah, he's probably I, th- I think he he's very particular about what he likes and what his craft is. So yeah, that that seems to be a, a fair description. And I mean, I, the, I I think as 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 people who enjoy the written word like we do, uh, I guess we can kind of understand his point of view of of like, hey, don't change my story. <laughs> but but at the same time, I mean, that's all Hollywood does. Like the screenplay is kind of like the entry point, and then uh, directors and, and and producers will do whatever they want to shape the story in whatever way they need to, to for better or for worse. You know, that that's always a roll of the dice if that's going to work out well or not. Yeah, I mean, my understanding though is, uh, you know, that what we see uh, in Alien is isn't too far removed from from the actual screenplay. Um, yeah, I've I've heard that as well. I'm very curious. I I don't know if you if you caught the wind of this or not, but a uh, 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 Dark Horse Comics, who who is the license holder for the for the Alien and Predator properties, uh, mm-hmm. they are they they are doing a uh, a comic book adaptation of Dan O'Bannon's original screenplay. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting. I like uh, much like you though. I I have heard very. I, I have not heard that the original screenplay is all that different from the final product. Uh, so I'm I'm a little curious to see what this is going to look like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially you know, it was very interesting in the in that just to get just to kind of follow that thread for a, a second or two. But Dark Horse two years ago published the original screenplay for Alien Three, which is vastly different than the film that we got. Which was interesting, but I'm still not sure it was any better than what we got. <laughs> yeah, I I tried watching the the quote unquote director's cut of that. I'm not I'm not sure if that's an honest title because my understanding is that David Fincher just wants nothing to do with that movie anymore. But I remember I tried to watch Alien Three, supposedly more like Fincher's original vision, whatever version that was, um, and it was still. Like not good. It was, it was horrible. I couldn't watch it. I turned it off like halfway through. I yeah. was like, I, there's just no point for me to watch this. No, it's a fundamentally flawed movie from the opening sequence, and and it just it doesn't get any better from there. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think Alien Three gets a little bit unfairly shit on, but it's it's not it's it's not a particularly good good movie. Yeah, so. I know. But let's talk about the one that is a good movie, and that is exactly. this one, Alien, the original. Uh, right. You know, there's other than the than the one the one great sequel to it. Um, the rest have been kind of all all over the, all over the place, and that's that's speaking kindly of it. Um, yes. But let, let's kind of let's let's kind of back it up a little bit. Let's kind of make the personal connection here. Like, what was what was your the first time you watched this movie? Like, what what when where how? The first time I watched this movie, I was I rented it from Blockbuster. Was it a blockbuster and, or was it all video? Was it back in their, our, our twin book, twin, twin book days? Um, I want to say it was blockbuster. I think okay. it was, maybe I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was mainly because I, I think it was Fox had aired Aliens, and I watched that, and I thought that was awesome. I'd never heard of heard of this series before and found out there was a first one and so went back and rented that and yeah yeah that that that's pretty much how i recollect it as well i, I think the only thing that uh 
the only I think the only other point of interest I need to reference is that I think the first time I heard of Alien was when after it was was after we saw Spaceballs and I had to ask a friend for clarification on what that scene was in reference to. The scene at the diner with the, with with John Hurt recreating his his chestburster scene. Yeah, I think I, I don't know. Maybe you told me about it. I don't remember ever asking anyone about that, but Cause yeah, like, yeah that, I think that was probably my first actual first exposure to it. Yeah, because I I feel like we saw Spaceballs before we saw either Alien or Aliens. Uh, yes, but then. I, you know, I think for whatever reason, Spaceballs kind of like started, started kind of kicked us off on a sci-fi bender <laughs> as we started going back and looking for all the movies they were referencing. Right. Because I, I think it wasn't it wasn't too long after that that I got into all the Planet of the Apes films. Oh, I forgot they referenced Planet of the Apes in Spaceballs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was after that. And, I, you know, me being younger, I think it was probably you that got on the sci-fi kick and I was just kind of, I went along for the ride. Yeah, but uh, you were, I, I do distinctly remember you were the one who got us on, on this particular ride uh, because, for, like you said, I, I actually, I don't remember it being uh, Fox that we watched it on initially, but we, we saw Aliens first. I do remember that as well. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, we saw like an ex, like an extended cut of it that was being aired. Uh, yes, because, because yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You, go ahead, say it. No, for years I thought there, I, I thought there was a scene where they said Ripley had a kid, and then every time I would watch Rent Aliens or buy it, whatever, th- that scene wasn't there, and I was just like, did I imagine that? What What was that? And then finally they released the special edition yeah. in like '99 or something like that, and and it had those scenes restored yeah and it, it, for me it was the the stuff with newt's parents at the beginning of the, of the picture where i was like did i make that up <laughs> right you know, one of those moments where you're like wait I, I so remember seeing her parents get you know not get killed necessarily but like go and explore the you know you, you see the horseshoe ship and all the stuff and then you know again for like you said for decades at least a decade you know you yeah. never saw it again whenever you'd watch it on tv or rent a, the rent a video and, and yeah 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 but yeah, so we 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 kind of came into this series backwards in a sense. Um, yes, and then we got into Alien, and I think uh, I I definitely think it left a lasting impression on us as as kids. Uh, but it's one of those movies that I think, as we've aged, the movie just resonates even more because it's 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 just so good on so many different levels. It, it hits so many different uh, emotions and and. I don't know. You just kind of connect to it in in different ways as you grow up, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I love that about the film. Uh, you know, you can pop Alien in right now. It's a forty year old movie, but it is still taut with tension, action. Uh, there's a little bit of levity before all the shit hits the fan with the crew. But like the, the the you know we talked about it at the very beginning, kind of like the interpersonal dynamics of the crew of the Nostromo are right. are fascinating because it's like. It's like your workplace in, in a lot of yep. senses. It's like you know that guy. You know Yafet Koto's character. You know uh, Kane over there who's about to have his, something ripped out of his chest. Or right. the fact that you want to rip something out of Kane's chest. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, one, of my, one of my favorite things about Alien... Well, I don't know if I should say one of my favorite things, but one of my, one of my favorite memories of, of Alien was something that you and I did. God, it must have been back in like 2003... Uh, when you and I went to go see the the re-release of the of the uh, 
director's cut, Ridley Scott's director's cut with like the, the extended footage and, and the extra scenes and, and stuff like right. that. And if I remember correctly, we saw that at like Regal Cinemas in, in Simi Valley. I think it was it was somewhere in the valley. It wasn't, oh, you're it right. Wasn't... We had to go to Northridge, didn't we? Yeah, and it was um, it was a midnight showing. That's right. It was very late. <laughs> it was, it was, very, it was late. very late, and I remember being very nervous because I love Alien, but I was for whatever reason I was super tired that day, and so like I was nervous that I was going to fall asleep watching one of my favorite movies in the theater and it was literally like the you know the lights go off and the movie starts and i was just hooked and on the edge of my seat the the whole movie like it was and again just like a testament to how good the film is yeah i I definitely agree with you and it was it's always so fascinating to watch something that you've seen dozens of times you know on, on the small box tvs that we grew up with uh, but then you get out there and you see that widescreen version, and maybe we'd seen a widescreen VHS copy of Alien by that point. Uh, but, yeah. But to see it, you know, just immensely taller than you, you know, like yes. larger than life on the silver screen, uh, was was to, to me was just insanely special. And uh, other than the far- fact that I forgot we went to Northridge to see it, uh, <laughs> was a, a big time memory for me. I loved seeing that movie in theaters with you. It was phenomenal. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Do you feel now this is a strange question, all right? Okay. <laughs> but like like I said, I, I I'm pretty sure my recollection was that we saw Spaceballs prior to Alien. Yes. Do you feel you were deprived of the joy of the chestburster for the first time? Because you kinda yes. knew what was gonna happen. You, okay, so you do. <laughs> yeah. Well not not only that, but but also because seeing aliens as well. You know? Okay, sure. So so yeah, you have Spaceballs and you have Aliens. And in Aliens, it's, you know, it's horrifying. You first see the chestburster from that woman who's who's strung up and it's like, oh my God, what is that? But Alien, like that's the scene, you know. You see John Hurt writhing on the table, screaming in agony, everyone trying to stop him. And you see those reactions on the actors' faces when it first happens. And my understanding is is that was the look on the face of the audience when it happened in cinemas for the first time. Well, so yeah, at least according to the, like, the legend of the, of the, of the making of the film, I, I mean, th- those are like legit reactions to the scene because the actors were told kind of what was going to happen, but nobody right. expected what <laughs> no one expected, like the level of of realism, of of, of blood, of you know, the like the like the, the, the splatter when it when it hits uh, Veronica Cartwright, like her screams real because she did not expect to get sprayed with blood, <laughs> so, right? <laughs> and it's just one of those those amazing touches, and and like you said, you know, I can I can only only imagine an audience in 1979 seeing this for the first time. Nothing else had ever come anywhere close. So this this kind of of, of, of scene and, and the sort of the broader implications of, of of what had happened, you know, with the face hugger and and what it was leading to. Um, I, I mean, I could imagine people in the audience just freaking out, and I'm so I, I am very sad that I was not amongst the the freaked out who would see it yeah. for the first time in the theaters. And uh, you know, I guess that's a, a obviously that's that's uh, because of our ages of being being younger and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit like going into Star Wars, but knowing Darth Vader's already Luke's dad and watching Empire Strikes Back for the first time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, yeah. well, yeah, 
duh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I I feel robbed, damn it, and I blame Ridley Scott for this, and it's his fault that my childhood was not enriched by that experience. I demand Ridley I, Scott. I demand restitution. I demand restitution. Okay. <laughs> All right, maybe not restitution, but whatever. <laughs> again, but again, another thing that speaks to the strength of this film is like, even though I I knew that part was coming, uh, the movie's still so good. It's still so great. It's so, oh, like I said, I, the, the 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 way that the way the way the tension's done, the way the movie's kind of drawn out, you know, especially the like that first hour or so, of the flick. I mean, it's it's a slow burn. Oh yeah. But you know that going in because I, uh, one of the things, another another aspect of the picture that I really like because it tells you, kind of from the beginning, what kind of movie you're getting into here is that, the opening. I mean the the way the title sequence plays out, the way the the mm-hmm. spelling of alien happens over what feels like forever in in a in a, right. you know, in a sense. It's just like, okay, this is setting a pace, and you have to respect the pace that it sets. Yep. And again, it leads into that horror aspect of, of things like the, the less is more and the, uh, the, the haunted house in space aspect of the fi- of the picture, which again is one of my favorite parts of it. But in a, in a sci-fi, in a very sci-fi way, it takes that haunted, ha- the haunted house concept, uh, you know, obviously the spaceships, the house in, in, in this metaphor. Um, yes. But instead of running from the ghosts, which there's a fair amount of running too, I love it when the crew of the Nostromo was like, we got to find this thing. And it leads to the, like the kind of like the pursuit of the Xenomorph mm-hmm. and the way that all plays out where they think they can, you know, they don't quite realize what they're up against basically. Like, yes, their crewmate was killed by it when it was, when it was like birthed from its chest, but they don't know what else is going on. You know, the scene where Yafikoto finds it, it's shedding that finds the, the, the skin, the husk, you know, they don't, they don't even know what's coming. And it's so it's actually, good. It's actually Harry Dean Stanton. Is it Harry that finds, finds it? I have, I apologize yeah. to Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you know I always just interpreted that interpreted them hunting it as you know they can't they can't have it on the ship because it's obviously dangerous mm-hmm. and they can't just go to sleep for ten months and hope it doesn't wreck the ship. Right. And, and kill them while while they're in while they're in stasis, and they can't necessarily bring it back to Earth. Yeah, and uh, I, I I think that's where the acid blood uh, came from. At least according to some of the some of the stuff I've read over the years, was that like um, Dan, Dan O'Bannon and uh, I forget. Gosh darn it! Let me find the name of who who helped him write the script. Um, it, it was Shusit. Shusit, uh, thank you. Yes, Ronald yeah. Shusit. Um, they, 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 the acid blood came about because they had to figure out a way for them, for the crew, not to just want to shoot the alien. They had to figure out right. some way to make it more menacing. Where like it couldn't just be stopped with bullets, right? And I mean, how how terrifying is the, is that concept? <laughs> a monster from space who's basically a killing machine with acid blood. Yafet Kodo says it best. It has a wonderful defense mechanism. You don't dare kill it. Yeah, exactly, and. Uh, Again, not to go on onto a into a bender uh, or into a div- divergent course and into aliens, but that comes that they they use the the acid blood to wonderful effect in aliens uh, as yes. they, they kind of further extrapolate from this original original source material. Yeah, 
But well, just talk to me about that alien design. Like, how impressive is that to you? It's still the best film monster. I, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's a single design that that even compares to it. There's something about it, it and the 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 the, the long limbs. Mm-hmm. So that it sort of is like an echo of a human being, but that elongated, super smooth skull with no eyes is yeah. just is that alone is terrifying. And then you see the jaws, yeah. And then the way he kind of like unhinges his jaw, and then obviously the little mouth inside the mouth, which again yeah. something that I don't think at that point had ever been seen before. No, absolutely not. You know, yeah. But let me ask you this though: you're you're a Cthulhu guy, so do you think that's for like a, a Cthulhu kind of reference, like the mouth within a mouth, the mouth of a thousand teeth, or whatever? Maybe. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't strike me as that. But I've I've often wondered if that was a little bit of inspiration, but I don't. I've never seen that confirmed anywhere, so I'm probably just clutching at straws on that one. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I it just strikes me as. To me, it's almost like such a Geiger thing because you, like you said, you know, the you look at his artwork and, and it's very phallic. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that mouth within a mouth is very phallic. It just strikes me as Geiger being Geiger, you know. Well, and, and you know, again, I guess that's, I guess that's a, a a fair way to kind of broach the, the broach the subject. But uh, you know, the the whole face hugger. And again, this is a, this is one of those things that you don't connect the dots. Like when you, when you and I are kids, like we're not thinking about it on these terms. But as an adult, and you see the face hugger, and and like it's kind of a, a metaphorical representation of, of rape, and the impregnation and the violation and all these things. And it's it's sure it takes on just a, a whole new level. And apparently, that was a very conscious thing that that uh, Shusted and O'Bannon did. And uh, apparently, they were they were extremely adamant. That it happened to a male member of the crew, as opposed to a female, because it would just be cliche and 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 and, and n- n- less effective if it was just that that kind of standardized trope of the woman as a victim. Sure. So what what a wonderful way to turn turn your your male audience on its ear by having it happen to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I agree. I got you on that one. We started talking about rape, and Mark was like really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> what? I I just I can I can picture you squirming in your chair right now. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> But again, again, I'm just I'm just saying that to, to kind of show like the, the 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 multiple levels this this picture has for in, for uh, enjoyment across the age spectrum <laughs> and gender spectrum apparently. Well, hey, I mean you you know I think that's a you know we we alluded to it earlier, but I think that's a great uh, a point of conceit. I mean, how awesome must it have been for female audiences to see the female member of the of the crew? is the one who survives is the one who defeats the threat. You know, it's not, it's not like 1979 was the most uh, liberated time for, for women. I mean, sure there had been progress, but you know, the, the male action hero still pretty much dominated the cinema. The, the damsel in distress was still a, a, a Hollywood trope. So I, I mean, I, 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 obviously I couldn't, I can't 
put myself in the, in those shoes. But I mean, that must have been extremely exciting for females who are watching the movie for the first time. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's more than just like the the you know the the final girl syndrome of of horror films. I mean, this was that magnified not magnified but uh, intensified because uh, you know Ripley wasn't um bumbling through the movie kind of getting out of out of situations by pure pure dumb luck i mean ripley was pretty much an ass kicker from the beginning you know she yeah. had, she had authority she had a presence she wasn't just the one who wasn't the dumb blonde you know it wasn't you know it was yeah no i i know what you're saying yeah um so again, we we you know we we we've talked about the the picture and, and its role as as kind of like this this just wonderful beautiful blend of the of the horror and the sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I want to know like do you, I don't know. Do you find Ripley to be just an extension of the Final Girl, or do you think it's something different? I mean, yeah, I think she is. But she's, you know, a very in-charge final girl. And I, you know, I don't think it's something... My understanding is that audiences in 1979 didn't know, you know, who was necessarily going to come out of the film, like who was going to be the survivor. Um, So... Well, no, and to, and to be fair, I mean, I mean, we needed the, you know, this movie came out in 1979. We needed the 80s horror films to kind of give us the final girl scenario anyways. So, I mean, maybe right. maybe just, maybe Alien was just ahead of its time in that regard. It might have, yes, it, it, it might have been. When did Halloween come out? I think it's the same year, actually. Yeah, I think so. It's 79. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess you could go to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that was like 74 how long was actually 78 so yeah one, one year earlier yeah um but uh, yeah like i think it's it's an extension of it but you know ripley definitely is not you know she's not like a twit she's not some nitwit she knows you know she knows what she's doing but like everyone else in the picture they're just in an extraordinary um situation um I I say that it's an extension of the Final Girl thing because to me, Alien is very much a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people say it's like sci-fi horror, and and it is. But to me, it's always mostly been a horror film, and I think it it's very akin to a slasher film. And you look at the roles that the people kind of play. You look at Tom Skerritt, who's kind of this, um, you know, he's the very practical kind of, he's the guy you're kind of looking to and expecting to be the hero. He's almost like the kind of like jock type character. And then you look at, say, Lambert, and she's, you know, there's a little bit of a relationship between her and Dallas. So she kind of falls into that realm of almost being like, Dallas's girlfriend almost like she's kind of like the cheerleader type character mm-hmm. who she's a little bitchy and then when it comes down to it she just completely breaks down and you know can't handle the situation Brett and Parker are kind of the uh 
they're almost like the they're almost like the stoner characters. You know, they're they're like smoking in almost every scene. They're the Jane Simon Bob of Alien. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. They're, they're just <laughs> they're the R2 and C3PO. Minus... R- well, <laughs> we'll go with Jane Simon Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's probably but... more accurate. Yeah. So, um, and then Kane, John Hurt's character, he's he's kind of he's like Dallas's buddy. You know, he's kind of like similar to him. He's just kind of he's just sort of like the sacrificial offering. Sure. so to speak like yeah. he's the guy that we need to get the whole ball rolling and then ash he's a little he's kind of something entirely different he, so so yeah so, so so i i feel like the the movie very much kind of it, it it plays within those slasher movie rules that but but kind of before they were rules I, I almost feel like it's it's one of the films that maybe unconsciously uh, established those rules for for slasher films throughout the eighties. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very fair point. I mean, it, 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 it's you you can't overlook the the influentialness of of the picture. I mean, ac- across multiple genres, you know, uh, that's the kind of director and, and, and visionary that Ridley Scott was, and that's kind of like the respect that other directors had for him it was like it was like oh man really really nailed this this horror thing or like really really nailed this aspect of things i want to follow it down that path um speaking of you know i know we, we i know we're talking a lot about that about the iconic chestburster scene uh but since since we are talking a little bit you know this is since this episode's also sort of dedicated to sir ian holm uh the i have to mention ash's the way he observes what's happening in, in the, in that scene, the sort of like cold observational aesthetic that he, he portrays and until he decides he has to act. And, uh, you know, obviously by the end of the picture, we find out that it's basically because he's trying to protect the, the, the entity, the creature, the entity or whatever. Um, Right. But if, if, if anyone just Googles the, the, or Googles goes on YouTube and, and, and wants to see the chest pressure scene, look for that. That's that, that, fraction of a, of a second of, of Ian Holmes just cold dispassionate observation of, of his crewmate dying it's 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 mm-hmm. really remarkable to see like just the lack of, of emotion and empathy in his face yeah and like like you said during that scene before anything seems to be wrong with John Hurt he you know there are a couple shots where you know it's Ash watching him observing him mm-hmm. And, and yeah, even before that, you know, there's, you see him doing the same thing and it's just like that little subtle hint that, you know, something, something more, something bigger is, is about to happen. Yeah. And, and it, again, I can, I can go into all the wonderful connections, uh, between alien and aliens, but what? But one of my favorites is the trauma that 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 uh, Ripley suffers at the hands of Ash that carries over into Aliens when she meets Bishop for the first time. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, obviously, uh, in case you're not uber familiar with Alien, the, the way that we are, uh, what we were referring to is when Alien or when when Ellen Ripley discovers uh, the corporation's evil, sinister plot to to capture the Xenomorph for its weapons division plan program. And and the Ash has been on this since the beginning, and he's let everyone die because he has to protect the creature for the company. And then he tries to kill her with a magazine. 
Yes. Because that's the most effective way an android could kill a person is to shove a magazine down their throat. Absolutely. <laughs> I've heard some theories about that, but I don't quite buy into them. So. Oh, I'm, I'm curious. Do you mind sharing them? So there, there, there's a new documentary, and I haven't seen it yet, but I've, I've heard that this is something that, that, that it theorizes. Um, I, I forget the name of the documentary. It came out within the last year, a documentary about Alien. And yeah, like the theory is is that it, you know Ash is this uh, sort of representing representational of the patriarchy, and that he rolls the magazine into a phallic symbol and he's jamming it down, trying to jam it down Ripley's throat. So you get a little more of that. Oh my. So that's the theory I've heard. I don't necessarily know that. I I I don't subscribe to that theory, but it's one that I've heard. Um, yeah. I, I you know uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm 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 swayed to that side of the argument necessarily. Uh, I think sometimes a magazine is just a magazine. <laughs> but yeah. To 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 paraphrase the expression. <laughs> yeah. Well, just that and like everything that I've kind of heard. Dan O'Bannon say about the writing of the script and, and, and from Ronald Chusett and Ridley Scott, like, no, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what they had in mind. If somebody wants to interpret it that way, be my guest. You're more than welcome to, but. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have much to add to that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that takes us down a weird path. <laughs> yes. Especially since I guess, uh, I mean, if if that were to be the metaphor that they were going for, I feel like they would, it would come from an actual physical male, not an android that just mimics one. Is the only thing I have to say about that argument, uh, you know, because un unlike Commander Data, I don't think Ash is fully functional. No, he's kind of tweaking in in those moments, and he's, you probably, know. he's probably he's probably like a Ken doll, just super smooth down there. <laughs> Well, there's also just, uh, you know, there, there's no weapons on the ship. He threw her into this little cubby. There's magazines there. So, I mean, why not? Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I wondered about that. And I, was, I wasn't able to necessarily find any uh, sub substantial uh, information to support this or not. Uh, but, you know, as we, as we talked about, Shusit and, and O'Bannon with the original screenplay, one of the reasons why they came up with the acid blood was so that they had a reason not just to shoot the monster. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if, if not having guns on board was something that was changed later on. Do you have any, any thoughts on that or, or know anything extra about it? I, I don't. I always just assumed that they didn't really have weapons because, um, well, I mean, again, yeah, obviously the, there's the acid blood. So that kind of eliminate that eliminates even a need for a scene of, well, why don't we just use guns? Right. But. I mean, I just, I don't know, having a gun aboard a spaceship, obviously it's a big spaceship, but having a gun aboard a spaceship doesn't seem terribly wise. Right. And I mean, they're, they're, they're like what cargo haulers, basically they're like, they're space truckers. They, they're a tow truck. Yeah. They're hauling, they're hauling mineral ore. Like that, that's all they're doing. Well, I don't know if that's what um, a tow truck does. What's that? I don't know if that's what a tow truck does. You, you mean more like a dump truck? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, when you said tow truck, I, I I just pictured the old police squad episode of the actual tow truck that was shaped like a big toe. 
<laughs> I don't. <laughs> I've not seen that episode. Oh come on, man! Classic <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. Uh, yeah, I bet. Um, what were we saying? Oh, I've not not much. I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna change the topic, anyways. Oh no, I was gonna say. Sorry, I was gonna say. Yeah, go. Um, I think there's a line when they first land on. Uh, LV426. That's right. Don't forget April 26th, Alien Day. <laughs> I actually didn't... I never thought of that. I didn't know that. No, it, it, yeah, it's actually Alien Day. I, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> um, but I think there's a line Tom Tom Skerritt has. He, he said... I, I feel like he says something about like getting getting weapons ready. Maybe that line just kind of got left in there. I don't know what that means. I, I don't know if the if the, the the Nostromo has any kind of exterior weapons in, in to deal with any sort of like threats from the outside. So, see, so yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. I hear you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I'll, I'll have to pay more attention to that on the next time I, re- I rewatch the picture. Yes. I think, yeah, that, that does ring a bell, though. Huh, interesting. Uh, okay, so let me back something up here, because, you know, we haven't really talked about LV-426, the the, okay. the planet that they are called to, that where the, the mysterious uh, alien distress signal originates from, where we find the, the horseshoe-shaped ship crashed on the planet, or at least uh, uh, wrecked on the planet. You know, maybe it didn't crash there. Uh... I guess one of the things that I, I had initially read was uh, was that it, uh, 20th Century Fox at first did not necessarily want the the space jockeys in the picture, the giant alien beings that you that you see in in the you, the in the horseshoe shaped ship. Yeah. Uh, but Ridley Scott and 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 the, and, the, and uh, I think I think oh gosh, what was his name? Ron Cobb, I think the other the producer, the visual designer. Yes. They convinced 20th Century Fox that, that had to be in the picture so that the audience would know right away that this is not a low-budget B-movie. Interesting. And in the process of doing that, of getting that that scene of you know the dead, what's termed as the space jockey by, by the insider people of the film. Um, right. Uh, it, it leads itself to like one of the biggest mysteries of the entire series, which is like, who the fuck are these people? Right. Um, talk to me about that scene, about like your your feelings on it, how it plays out for you, like the the exploration of this of this crash alien vessel, and and kind of like the imagery that we see on that ship. I mean, I love it. It's just so spooky. It really is. It really is. <laughs> You're right about it, that. You know, from everything, for, you know, you go into again, kind of what we were saying, like the the production design, the the design of the ship itself, the from exterior to interior. Um, the lighting, the cinematography, just use of very uh, harsh, uh, contrasty shadows. Um, and then, yeah, you see this gigantic alien and you just think, what the hell is that thing? And I love the fact that there there isn't much of an explanation for it. We have enough explanation. It's a it's a crashed alien ship. Something happened to this ship. 
and that's kind of all you really need to know because mm -hmm. the the film's not about that but it it it, it helps build a, a larger world yeah yeah I, I definitely agree with you and uh you know one of the aspects of that scene i think that is so so excellent um and I, th I think it's probably one of the more underrated aspects of the picture overall. Uh, but the, the the score from Jerry Goldsmith that kind of underplays in, the, in that scene, in that, in that sequence mm -hmm. as they're exploring the ship, is so good. And it's so creepy. Jerry Goldsmith's score is top-notch in this movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's something people talk about enough. No, they don't. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times with, with horror films... Uh, the score can really sell it, mm -hmm. and uh, I think a lot of times, especially with some of the you know the 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 way that eighty slashers flicks went. I mean, the music became ridiculous. <laughs> yes, but when you yes. when you have a, a serious composer doing serious things, it 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 really adds something to to those scenes to uh, bring a, a sense of kind of gravitas of of, of stakes to the picture and and to kind of. I don't, I don't know if authenticity is the right word, but to make it feel more real. Yeah. Even, I, even know, in a science fiction setting, that, that score makes it real. Like, that, the, the, there are stakes. Makes it real. It gives it, it, it helps add to the atmosphere of it. You know, it, it, it stirs those kind of evocative um, emotions of, of, of wonder and, and a sense of threat. Um, I think the film also very smartly though knows when when to use the score and when not to use the score. Yeah. You know, like that scene with where we introduce the space jockeys is very appropriate, I think, to, to for that score, but then later in the film when you know Ripley's kind of running around and they drop the score from the movie completely, again, that's that's very very appropriate. Well, and, and uh, you know, to to that point, I, I think that's kind of a, a sign of a not great horror flick when they are using the music to mislead you into something, you know, because they're they're trying to ratchet up and they're and they're going to go for that fake jump scare that never comes, but because right. they, they amped up the music, you bought into it, and again, like I like, I agree with you a hundred percent, like the 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 complete absence of sound in some of those scenes where where they're hunting the alien. Uh, just again, just you're you're on the edge of your seat for these characters. You're like, oh fuck, it's so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and again, and that I think that also plays into like the wonderful tagline uh, of of the picture as well. Like you know, in in space, no one can hear you scream. Right. And the 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 silence of space, the silence of of the pursuit of the of the of the alien of the xenomorph. Uh, silence is a big part of the picture too. To kind of contrast that wonderful score that, that Goldsmith does, right. And again, it all, it all plays in the, that less is more aspect of the film that just from top to bottom they do so so well. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree. I can't get enough. Of, I can't get enough of this movie. Like I said, I mean, I watch it. I you know I don't get to rewatch movies as much as I used to anymore, which is the the sad uh, reality of. Of, of having other obligations and commitments. Mm -hmm. I, I don't just get to sit on my ass and watch all the movies <laughs> I want to watch. Uh, but when I do get, to get the chance to watch this movie, it, 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 it's almost... I mean, you've been to film school, so this may be... I don't, I'm not trying to 
say something dismissive or, or, or take a slight against actual film schools, but the, the movie's film school. Like, there's always something to learn from this movie, I think, whenever you watch it. Like, you're like, oh, man, there's an element I didn't pay attention to before. There's something that I'm, I'm kind of seeing from a different perspective now. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually think, not 100% sure about this, but I think Stanley Kubrick said, like, you can learn just as much by watching the same movie over and over and over and over and over again as you can in film school. <laughs> so, you yeah, know. It, it, it's funny you bring up Kubrick because one, one of, the, one of the, the pieces of information that, that I uh, read leading up to us doing the show was uh, apparently Kubrick was completely fascinated by the chestburster scene and how it worked and how they made it look so good and so real. And he couldn't – I guess Kubrick had a, a hard time uh, 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 wrapping his mind around how they were able to do it and make it look so good. <laughs> which you know i mean let, let's be honest i mean stanley kubrick is an insanely talented director and if he's kind of like flabbergasted and floored by something you just did i mean that that's that's probably the ultimate compliment to a, a young director at the time like ridley scott yeah absolutely and you know i would go so far as to say like i i think this film has a lot of kubrick in it in terms of it's very like the slow crawl but the the amping of the tension just all the way until you get to this sort of crescendo at the climax of, of, of the movie. I, I think it's, it's very reminiscent of Kubrick. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm pretty sure really Scott was, was directly influenced by 2001 because like you said, like the speed of, of the way the ship's moving and the way, the way the ship's moving in general. But I think, and I'm sure other people have talked about this before too, but to me, the biggest connection between uh, like Kubrick in 2001 and, and Alien is just like the kind of the, the, the sense of vastness of space mm-hmm. and the sort of isolation in which you're in in space. And that was something that uh, a few sci fi movies have ever been able to really replicate since Alien. Right. I think one of the best ones that did it um, is a film that I think's uh, criminally uh, over overlooked, and that would be Event Horizon. Yeah, that was that was a movie that I thought did a really good job of of showing that space is vast, and that it's empty, and it's nothing, and it's bleak, and it's death, and it's all these different things that combine that that people human beings shouldn't be in, <laughs> <laughs> and you know Alien Alien did that to perfection. In my opinion, yeah. But, but to me, that was the biggest the biggest influence that 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 Ridley Scott probably took from two thousand one was that, oh yeah, space is empty. <laughs> well, it's just a completely hostile environment. Yeah, like you said, we're not supposed we're we're not supposed to be there. Everything about space conspires to kill you. Like the, right. there's there's literally no reason to go there except to prove that we can. Which again is a, a exciting and remarkable thing about humanity, but. That that's for a different podcast, <laughs> different different conversation, a different conversation. But I, uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get uh we'll, we'll get some real astronauts on for that one. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think sometimes that's that's like one of those things, and I I don't say this as to, to take to take a shot at Star Trek or Star Wars, but space doesn't seem that dangerous when you're when you're in those those elements in in Star Wars and in Star Trek. You know, it's like, oh, this is just where our spaceship goes. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, granted, I mean, Star Trek obviously is technologically based, so it's like, oh, we have all these things to to protect us. But it's, you know, I I love 
in Alien is like, oh, it only takes one thing to go wrong for us all to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the the acid blood can eat through the whole yep. hull. Yep. And that yep. would create a major problem. And just when they when they touch down on LV four two six, they have the problem with the landing gear, and it takes you know a day or more for them to to repair it. And and they can't they can't just take off and and dock with uh, with the Nostromo dry dock with the Nostromo again mm-hmm. uh, until they get that fixed. So yeah, like the the movie definitely sets up the the idea of the the hostile environment and even the planet that they're on. Uh, the atmosphere is, as Ash describes, it, it, it's primordial. They can't breathe it. They have to wear these big spacesuits, which adds to the to the overall claustrophobia of the film. Like they, and, and then once they get back to their their relatively safe environment, that then also becomes a hostile environment as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's 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 really great. Yeah, and you know, speaking of of that, I, I guess that was where the idea for the for the facehugger even came from, was because they were trying to figure out a way for the alien to get on the ship that made sense, like a certain amount of sense, and and lended itself to, you know, the tension and and the and the fear and all these other elements. Was the, yeah. Oh well, if we just have, uh, you know, one of the crew get face raped and impregnated, then the aliens on board the ship. That's all it takes is good old face rape. Good old face rape. <laughs> we don't mean that in the, in the way that it sounds. <laughs> I hope G- they know. Giant that. asterisk. They, you, we're joking. <laughs> we don't believe in good old face rape. Um. Yes, and uh, sorry, I was going to go somewhere else with the with the with the with the screenplay there with the some of the ideas that that Shisset and O'Bannon had. Um. But I lost my train of thought because of face rape. Oh well. Uh, face rape will do that. It, it certainly will. It certainly <laughs> Oh, um, I'm sorry. I was going to say, uh, uh, said had a whole uh, backstory for, for the space jockey ship, by the way. And a, a big part of it was once they had solved, once they had uh, kind of like locked into the acid blood idea, uh, he, like you were saying about the, how the, that blood would just, just eat through the hull of the Nostromo. That's actually the story that he came up with for the, for the horseshoe ship. Was that okay. one, once the alien burst through the the space jockey's chest, like whoever was left of that crew had to hunt it down and kill it. And in order to do so, that's exactly what happened. They killed it, and its acid blood destroyed their ship, so they were stranded. Yeah, I mean that you know makes a certain certain amount of sense, and because, um, you know, you kind of watch Alien, and and you. You kind of figured that's what Tom Skerritt's character has to be thinking about because he saw the space jockey. He saw he says it looks like he exploded from the inside, Mm -hmm. you know, so so he has to be thinking, you know, putting the pieces together in his head that this is exactly what happened to this other ship that we just went to. Well, which also, but then, then I mean, obviously, the next train of thought, to follow that train of thought is like, why in in God's name would he try to get Kane back on the ship? Well, I mean, what I'm saying, like, I only think Tom Skerritt's character realizes that after the chestburster scene. I don't, I I don't necessarily, I I don't think he's thinking about that beforehand. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, like, at that point, 
there could be so many things that the space hugger is. Like, it's not necessarily that this ship crashed because of something to do with all these eggs in the ship, but because of something that's indigenous to this planet. Sure. I know. I know. I, I totally buy that. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to poke holes in, into the logic of the film at all because this to right. me this is a insanely tight screenplay. It's an insanely tight story. There's not a lot to 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 really pick at, and and that, again another reason why I think it's such a piece of of you know a, a iconic piece of pop culture history because it is so good, so tight. Like there's not uh, a, a plot holes to drive a truck through or anything in there. You know, it's it's right. It's just wonderful from about the top to bottom i mean even even really scott has said that yes he did the director's cut of it but he still thinks the, the theatrical is his best version <laughs> so i mean yeah you know and that that that's that's the version that that i always end up watching like i i appreciate the extra scenes but i feel like they kind of um they they mess with the pacing the they movie. do. They do a little bit. That and you know, it's funny. I, I noticed that the when when way back when in like two thousand three or whatever it was when we saw it in theaters, I was like, oh, it's a little, uh, it, not like herky jerky, but it was like it was just like a touch off. And I wasn't sure if this yeah. was because like I wasn't used to the new scenes, but I, I've I've watched the, the the God. I feel like there's two or three different versions of it by now, but I've watched them all, and I still I still think the theatrical is probably the 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 tightest version of it. Yeah, I I think there was a director, another director's cut yeah, that came out I in like so 2013 or 2012. I I still have not, I haven't seen that because I'm just kind of of the opinion to stop, to stop messing with it. <laughs> um, you know, so I mean, when I talk about the director's cut, I I just mean the 2003 version. Sure. And and yeah, really the only scene I remember being new. Is is when they show what happened to Dallas, and they show him kind of strung up in that one area of the ship. I do really like just, that scene. <laughs> I, I like that scene, but at the same time, it 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 really does wreck the flow of what's happening because it's it's at that point that that the movie is moving at a rapid clip. Ripley just put the Nostromo on self-destruct. She's got to get to the shuttle. Like and everything and, and the shots leading up to that and afterwards are all very short and quick and the lighting is, is is flat. Everything about the movie is rapid at that point. And then all of a sudden we just kind of slow down and we have this scene and it sticks out like a sore thumb. Wow, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And 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 also I don't think it makes sense for Ripley to even go into that room because she's just supposed to be moving between the um, the self-destruct initiator and the shuttle. Like, that's all she's really supposed to be doing. Like, why why is she taking this detour? I don't... It, it doesn't really make sense, in my opinion. No, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I, like, like you said, I mean, I, I watched these extended and director's cuts out of curiosity... But right. much much like you and much like Sir Ridley, uh, I the the theatrical is just wonderful, and I think you're right. It's it's kind of fun to see, uh, like uh, like Dallas's fate, you know, sort of. Yes. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like the pacing is is definitely changed by that point because because like we said, I mean, the movie's a slow burn, but that third act is all pedal to the metal, full gas. Right. And again, yeah, one of the one of the reasons why that movie just is so. Uh, riveting to watch. I mean, because you, you know, 
you you have that thick tension during so much of the beginning of our, but then but again, then the the gas gets slammed and you're rocketed into the back of your seat because you're just like, whoa, what is happening? <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful woolly ride. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said woolly, but whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is there any other aspects of the film that we haven't talked about that you want to get into? I mean, you know, I think we we covered it. You know, we covered the characters. We've talked about the production design and the 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 art design. Uh, you know, yeah. I I don't know. I feel like it's just such a tight movie. You know, there's not. I guess there's not that much to talk about because it, it it it's all just so good and all it all just really comes together. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's a wonderfully cast movie. It's a wonderfully directed, wonderfully, you know, wonderfully acted movie. It, it's from top to bottom. The production design, uh, Ridley's Ridley's eye that was you know very new to the scene. I think he had like one other major motion picture before Alien. Uh, I believe it was The Duelists, which is a, a good picture on its own. But you know, I mean, Alien, come on, right. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, man. I mean, we, we talked about Jerry Goldsmith's music. The score is so good. So powerful. Just works so insanely well. Again, this is one of those movies. It's just such such a wonderful combination of everything coming together in the best possible ways. And uh, again, becoming to me, in my opinion, one of those movies that is, uh, essentially timeless. Like you don't watch it and you know, yeah, I guess you could look at the computer stuff and be like, oh, that's kind of dated, but it, it's not really dated in a sense. I mean, like, it's it does sort of have enough of a timelessness to it. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you can watch this and, and you're not, like, blown away by, uh, you know, crazy 70s hairstyles or anything like that. It's it's It, it, all, it all just kind of works. Yeah. No, no, totally. It is uh, uh, a wonderful, iconic piece of pop culture, and I can't I can't. I mean, if you guys, if if anyone listening hasn't watched Alien in a little little while, uh, I think Mark. I think I think I speak for Mark on this. We strongly encourage you to revisit Alien and to reconnect with this wonderful uh, material. It's it's so good and it's so fascinating. And there are so many different things you can explore with it. You know, so many point of views you can watch it from. And they're 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 all going to turn out aces for you. You're going to have a good time no matter which point of view you take or what what angle you look at it from. Absolutely. It's it's. I mean, I I, I say it's it's borderline flawless. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. There's, there's one janky cut. One janky cut. That you heard it yeah. from Mark. One janky cut, but basically flawless. It's one janky cut. You'll know it when I see it. When you'll know it when you see it. There it is, folks. I, I <laughs> we can't get better than that. <laughs> I think I think this is a good spot to to kind of wrap it up. I'm sure I'll think of eight things we didn't talk about after I turn off the recorder. But Mark, I think we did. I think we did. I think we did aliens justice today. I think we 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 shine a light on the xenomorph, and he scurried back into the 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 hold in the darkness with the chains, where he balls up and he's all balled up in the chains. Fuck that! We shot him out the airlock. Ooh, ooh! You trying to try steal Ripley's thunder? Okay, okay. Not really. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Mark. Okay. Now, listen, I know you and I grew up with these movies, and I'd like to think that they've imparted valuable lessons on us. So 
I ask you this question with that in mind, all right? If you are somewhere and you see a giant oozy looking space egg and it opens up before you, what do you do? Take off and nuke the site from orbit. <laughs> perfect yes I love it (laughs) so good I was just going to settle I was going to say run away but uh, your answer far superior (laughs) thank you oh that was so good that was the best way to end end, end this conversation I think all right, <laughs> Mark. Thank you so much for for doing this with me. It's been a real blast. I, I this is a movie. Uh, every time I watch this movie, every time I think about this movie, I I uh, I, I think of you, and and it, it's one of those one of our rare moments of, of brotherly love is our love of alien. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, we disagree a lot, but not on this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't even play along with it all right fine i'm trying (laughs) all right mark thank you so much mark uh uh, if the people want to follow you on social media where are you at uh mr wegemer on instagram and m wegemer on twitter boom follow mark he does stuff he posts things every now and then every now and then A a lot of word counts yeah (laughs) <laughs> on Twitter on Twitter alright Mark we will talk later alright thank you <laughs> bye bye but wait there's more I actually uh, thought of a few things to talk to Mark about right after I turned this off so then I turned the recorder back on and we got a little extra here we go alright Mark since I still have you on the line uh, there is a piece of news I, I wanted to talk to you about before we turned off the alien show completely Okay. Um, but I forgot about it until just now. Have you heard the news that Michael Keaton will be Batman again? No, I haven't. This is the news being reported today. It is, it is going across the internet that Michael Keaton, the original 1989 Batman, will once again be part of the Batman mythos in the long-delayed, often-stalled <laughs> Flash movie starring Ezra Miller. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> now, it's not 100% official, but okay. there are very serious conversations happening that 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 Keaton uh, and the size of the role are, are still being negotiated. Uh, but this this Flash movie apparently will be a a, 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 a this uh, this has been kicked around for a couple of years now that the, that the Flash movie would be a cinematic adaptation of the Flashpoint storyline where where Barry goes back and inadvertently creates a new timeline, and right. in so according to the story in this inadvertent timeline that he creates, uh, it will be a universe a timeline protected by Michael Keaton's Batman, who is now thirty years older. <laughs> I mean, why? Um, because I think this is the only way to make sure that I go see this movie. Uh, Ezra Miller's The Flash is not my favorite, but you got I Michael Keaton as Batman, and I'll at least go and check it out. 
No, I won't. I won't. Stop. Stop <laughs> it with your stop it with your gimmicks. <laughs> you know, I love Michael Keaton as Batman. He's 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 you know not my favorite. Christian Bale was the Batman for me. But I love Michael Keaton as Batman, and like that is exciting. But at the same time, I, when you brought it up, I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be Ezra Miller Flashpoint." I'm just not interested because, like you said, Ezra Miller not my favorite Flash. So, unless the trailer really sells it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll remain open. And if, again, if if the if the trailer looks good, I'll go see it. But if not, I won't bother. Yeah, I mean, I I can't. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I am interested. But what I thought was the most uh, fascinating part of of the story was that um, this is sort of following. Again, this is uh, this kind of sounds like like DC catching up to Marvel cinema again because uh, th- there have been rumors of this going on uh, in the next Doctor Strange movie. For right. for a long time now, uh, you know, the, with obviously the the biggest rumor being that since Sam Raimi is going to direct Doctor Strange and it's called the Multiverse of Madness, we're going to see Tobey Maguire Spider Man and and possibly Andrew Garfield Spider Man and possibly even more Spider Man and and you know various iterations of the character. Uh, so that I think that was the first thing I read. It was like, oh, really? We're gonna play this game? So it's like, who can get their multiverse movie out first? Doctor Strange or The Flash? Right. And I mean, let's be honest. Marvel's earned our trust to at least you know go with them for the ride. DC has not earned that trust. Yeah, exactly. So and I, mean, I don't even I don't even know who's directing this Flash movie. I know they've had like three directors already. Multiple directors. Uh, apparently, uh, at the moment, it is uh, Andy. Uh, I'm going to say his last name wrong. Andy Machetti, Muchetti, the guy who did it for Warner Brothers. Musichetti. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I, sorry, I, Andy. I I'm know. saying it wrong. I don't, I don't know how to say his name. It Chapter One, pretty good. It Chapter Two. Not good at all. So that's not encouraging. Uh, yeah, that's actually my review of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I mean, I thought about, I thought the same thing about the uh, the TV movie back in the day with Tim Curry as Pennywise. I thought the first part was great, and the second part with their adults was awful. Yeah, um, but I think I don't know. You, you watch it, chapter one, and it just seems like obviously they're gonna have to scale things back but for it to have been what it was i just thought whatever i I don't want to go into a review of it chapter two well you know we don't have to go into a review of it chapter two but let me ask you one question well two questions one question and then a follow-up okay did you read the book yes okay so you weren't surprised that it was an alien that pennywise is from space um no (laughs) okay because I haven't read the book, and when I watched the new film, and I said, "Wait, what? <laughs> well, He's so from the, space." The 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 thing is, is that it is it. It's not so much from outer space as it is an interdimensional being. Doesn't um, matter. Stupid. What's that? Doesn't matter. Stupid. Ah, read the book. It, it it's good. I I, I think it is 
maybe Stephen King's finest book. Um, well, listen, uh, I, to me, uh, there's a reason why they spend so much time making the joke that the one character uh, doesn't know how to end his books, and it's because Stephen King doesn't know how to end his either. I, I, I think the ending of it is great, and I, I think the ending of many Stephen King books are good. So, okay. mm, all right. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that criticism. Mind you, I haven't read all of his books. In fact, I, I haven't even, I'm not even at the halfway. I don't even think I'm a quarter of the way through all of his books. So I'll just say that. No, the man is prolific. If nothing else, I mean, he just writes and writes and writes. And good for him. And I don't, I don't, yeah. mean, I, I don't want to come off of sounding like a, 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 I'm criticizing Stephen King. I think Stephen King is a great writer. I have had issues with endings of several of his books, but I don't. I, much like I, you've read more of Stephen King than I have by far. Uh, I, I've read a, a very small fraction of Stephen King work. Yeah, and, and it's been it's actually been quite a while since the last time I did. So yeah, it's a, my thing with it is is just that like when you read the book, if you ever get around to reading the book, like you'll understand. You'll you will read that book and you will just say there is no way you can interpret this faithfully to film and especially not in two two hour movies. Okay. At the at the very least you would need to do a thirteen episode season on HBO or Netflix or, or whatever. Okay. Fair so. hey, fair enough. And we don't have to get into it. But I did yeah. I uh uh I have sort of there was there was a, a long period of time I think I may have talked about it on the on the show where I, I sort of disavowed uh, the 89 Batman as, as you know, ah, it's not that good after all, but I, I, I've come back around again. I've gone full circle. I love 89 Batman. So I, and I love Michael Keaton and the idea of him donning the, the potentially donning the, the Cape and Cal again, uh, actually gets me really excited, even though mm-hmm. it is for a flash movie that, um, just, just sounds not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So I don't know. Fingers crossed. Uh, if you, if you get if you get Michael Keaton, you might get my fourteen bucks. We'll see we'll see how that goes. See if it's only fourteen, I can understand that. But here in LA, it's like eighteen. I was gonna say you live in LA. You 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 have a you have to pay these people's a gas fare or whatever. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now 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 we can end the conversation. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, let's try this again, Mark. I will talk to you soon. All right, thanks for having me. Oh, we were lost. Knew where we were, and then Harry began feeling around on all the trees, and he said, "I got it. We all Pluto." And we said, "Harry, how can you tell?" He said, "From the bark, you dummies. <laughs> From the bark." <laughs> Is he all right? Yeah, yeah. The cat did me. Hey, what's wrong with this guy? I don't know. <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. 
keeping my heart's on fire. If you refuse me, honey, you lose me. Then you'll be left alone. Oh, baby, telephone and tell me I'm your own. Check, please. Hey, so there it is. There's the conversation. My dear sweet brother and I discussing one of our favorite all-time films, 1979's Alien, directed by Sir Ridley Scott, starring the amazing Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley, and uh, just a wonderful cast and crew. And you know, we 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 I think we covered all the important aspects of the film: the production design, the music, so many aspects of this film. Um, it is an onion of a picture. You can you can peel back layers and layers and, and experience the movie in so many different different ways and uh yeah uh, yeah and then we tagged on a little conversation uh we got a little off base but i did want to pick his brain about the news today about michael keaton possibly resuming or returning to the role of the cape crusader so i thought that'd be a little fun little thing and then we got into a little bit of a stephen king diatribe but you know hey what are you gonna do still a fun fun conversation and i hope you guys uh have enjoyed it as much as i have because it was a blast Really enjoyed uh, talking with Mark about about Alien in particular because uh, it is a movie that uh, I think about when I watch it. I do think of of, of hanging out with him because uh, it's it's a movie we, we, we kind of sort of discovered together and, and kind of came into to, together. So uh, it's a movie that's very very special to to me and to him. He, he said it already. It's in his top three of all time. If that doesn't say it all about him, I mean, listen, you guys don't know Mark as well as I do. Mark's top three, I mean, like, you got to be a really good movie to make it into Mark's top three. Like, that guy does not suffer fools. That is, that is a fact. So why he puts up with me, I don't know. I'm probably the only fool he suffers, and it's because he has to legally buy blood. Anyways, let's wrap this show up. Great show tonight. This was episode 98. That means 100 is right around the corner, and we got something uh, different and unique planned for episode 100. It's going to be kind of a, 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 a little off 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 base here you know not so much of the sci-fi and the and the and the, the, the multitude of genres of, of, of pop culture but a different aspect of pop culture that uh we're sorely missing right now in in, in light of COVID-19 and and, and and the various protests and things happening around the world it's so it's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun show I got I got a, a guest or two lined up for that one uh but it'll, it'll be a different episode 100 than than, than, than the previous 99 before it so big things should be a lot of fun i hope you guys are enjoying the podcast so and if you are please subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you listen apple Podcasts, spotify uh stitcher iheart music all of them and make sure you're liking subscribing sharing the show with your friends maybe write us a five-star review if you have the time because those help us uh rise to the top of the podcast world and, uh, you know, small podcasts like us, we can get lost in the shuffle. So those five-star reviews help us stand out. It means, it means a ton if you take the time to do that. And odds are I will read it on the show. All right, again, you can follow us at TomCastPopCast on Twitter and Instagram. Conveniently, the same tag now. So much better than it used to be. Also, you can email the show if you want to have a more in-depth conversation with me, TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. You can head on over to Patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast to join Pophead Nation and if you select the second tier, or the first, I, I forget which tier. I think it's the second tier. You will get access to so much bonus content. So much bonus content. Right now we have the video feature of Podcast Reads on there. I'm doing those weekly. And then on the monthly level, or the, I'm sorry, in, in the same level, but monthly, I am doing audio commentary tracks 
for feature films that you probably haven't watched in 30 years. And that would be, right now we're doing Marvel Before Marvel, which includes Howard the Duck and Dolph Lundgren's The Punisher. Up next, Captain America. The, 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 there was a Captain America movie before Chris Evans, and boy, oh boy, is it not good. Uh, so we're going to have a track for that very, very soon, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So sign up for Patreon if you can. If not, remember, this podcast will always be free. But if you want a little extra bonus content and you have the means, I highly recommend it. All right, so thank you guys. Uh, thank you to my current Patreons. Thank you to the Aspen Hill Chody. The Batman of Bay Park, Mr. Jeff Nail. He is the co-host of The Ringing Ear. Thank you to Evil Circle, the most evil of all the circles. And the Squidmaster General himself, Mr. Brian Broussard. Brian, I know that you know that I know that you know that we are living in the Watchmen universe right now. We're all masked up. There's race wars happening around us. If Dr. Manhattan shows up tomorrow, I won't be surprised. You won't be surprised. We've seen it coming. We've seen it coming. It's all happened before. It'll all happen again. Hey, that's Battlestar Galactica. All right, I'm off track. Anyways, let's wrap this show up. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, it means the world to me that you guys take the time, that you download, that you listen, and that you, you tell all your friends about the cool stuff that we're doing. Uh, I will be back. I will, I, will, I will be back next week. And we're having another fun episode. Episode 99, The Precipice of 100. Can't wait. Can't wait. We will talk to you soon. You guys take care of each other. Wash your hands. Wash your face. Social distance. Wear those masks. Wear a mask. Save a life. Think about it that way. Don't worry about you being inconvenienced. You're potentially saving someone else's life by wearing a mask. All right? You guys take care. Love you all. Talk to you soon. Ciao, babes. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions!